Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, we will read together in unison. Begin. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of a divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Let's pray. No, that's as far as we'll go. Father, bit by bit, your son is teaching on the hard truths. Uh, Lord, we'd like to divide up Christianity and divide up our, our, our walk with you separate from the world. We'd like to make it so that we don't have to apply these truths to where we're at. So you're, you're diving into the realm of Satan and you're, you're teaching and exposing darkness, bringing light to it, bringing hope. Lord, um, as we deal with the uncomfortable subject of divorce, like you clearly do, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that there is a better way. There's hope. There is a Savior who can save anything. So, Lord, I pray for help this morning and that you would open our ears and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is teaching about the realities and the characteristics of something that he calls the kingdom of God. He is spent, he's spending three chapters challenging what people already believe, what they think is already true, and he calls them to a better, deeper understanding. He actually spends the time in these chapters exposing the fake righteousness of Pharisees and our modern world culture. It's amazing how we have so many ungodly people in the media and in movies and stuff talking to us about morals. He demands that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And they looked the part. Boy, could they dot every I. He calls people to live in the kingdom of God differently. And by the way, it is a different way of living. It's different than any of us are used to. And he calls people to live not in rejection of the Old Testament, but in the fulfillment of it, in the truths of the Old Testament. Those laws were not just for them way back then. No, they are for us now. You just got to take them for what they are, not for what you want them to mean. In chapter 5, Jesus explodes six big myths. And we've only dealt with some of them already. He deals with the myth of where murder and anger comes from. He explodes the, 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 the concepts of adultery and takes it back to the problem with lust. He now deals with divorce and their attitudes towards it. He'll move on and talk about oaths and promises. And then to the danger of retaliation. And then ultimately with loving your enemies. Chapter 5 is, is the foundation for chapter 6 where he deals with prayer. Before he ever talks about prayer, he talks about our heart and why things that, that don't happen in the spiritual realm because they're not being fixed in our heart. So all of these things are radically different than what we want to hear about and what we're used to, what we want to believe. 
But they are all, when you understand them, they are normal in the kingdom of God. And they ought to be normal in our homes and in our church. So, by way of background, let me say, we're we're listening to Jesus expose our wrong attitudes about marriage and divorce. Basically, it is a short and not-so-sweet call to a better marriage. People have a lot of ideas about divorce. There's a lot of confusion about it. In Jesus' day, the attitude had become one where a man could dump his wife if he saw a woman more beautiful and says, eh, I'm moving on. He would divorce his wife if she displeased him in her habits or if she just hadn't any cooking skills. He says, "Uh, come on, i got to get somebody better. In Jesus' day and in a lot of cultures still to this day and even here, there's a lot of physical and sexual abuse going on and then people just dumping one another. There are forced marriages. There are forced divorces. Wicked men were divorcing their wife to just have... This was something that was going on even in Moses' day, and God says we got to stop it. Wicked men were married, but they would divorce to have a fling, and then would go back and try to remarry that first wife in order to keep the inheritance. The truth is, Satan hates marriage. And he hates your marriage. If you haven't figured it out yet, open your eyes. So here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is attempting to take marriage back from the devil. And believe me, he can do it if you let him. Now, he's not presenting a complete teaching on marriage or divorce. Matthew chapter 5, verses 30, or 31 to 32, is not the, the final word on marriage. He's going to deal with it again in Matthew chapter 19. And, and Paul will deal with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There's a lot about marriage and divorce. So don't go, well, this is the definitive stand. Well, make sure you read the whole book. Because what he wanted to do was explode people's wrong views about divorce with some light. Amen. Now, people generally get divorced for five things. Now, I've read lots of things. Some people list 10, some people list 20. Well, I've boiled it down to five Ps. Number one, pornography. And that's where, uh, that's where the word fornication comes from, a Greek word called porneo, which is where we get our word pornography. It's fornication, any adultery, any unfaithfulness, to marriage. Pride. You know, when there's constant arguing, when people are inflexible, guess what? You're headed to divorce. Because marriage is not about who's right. Marriage is about getting along and working together and finding out what is right and then doing it together. It's hard. So there's a big problem that a lot of divorces are just because somebody digs their heels in and just stops and says, I'm not changing, and that's wrong. Third, Perceptions, or can I use the word misperception? Sometimes something happens and people, uh, one party gets confused and, and things, uh, there's always, there's, there's some marriages where somebody's always imagining the worst, and it could be true, it could be. The fact is, perceptions have destroyed a lot of marriages. Make sure you talk. Then there's the problem with prudeness. Now, you probably haven't heard that word in a long time, but lack of passion, lack of intimacy in the marriage. You know, God said when he brought two people together, he made them one flesh. Everybody wants it to be, well, we're brother and sister. Don't be brother and sister at home. You're husband and wife. Prudeness will cause problems. And then power or the abuse of it. It's caused a lot of where somebody's exerting too much power over the other person. Those are the five areas that I've found. Maybe there's three 
that you could boil those all down to. But that's enough to drive anybody insane going, that stuff's going on all the time. Yes, it is. But in the kingdom of God, it is not to be so. Marriage must be our priority, not thinking about divorce. Marriage has to be protected, honored, and fought for. Because if you're not fighting for your mate, you're going to fight against them. The Bible presents marriage. You say, what is marriage? Marriage is a binding covenant relationship, covenant relationship between a man and a woman who live as a gift to each other for life. That's what marriage is. Marriage is, is I give myself for you. That's how you start and that's how you continue and you finish a marriage in a covenant relationship. Divorce has to be limited to very specific conditions. And Jesus mentions it. He says one reason, fornication. In other words, you can't simply trade in and replace your spouse the way you trade in an old automobile. Or else you're an adulterer. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 31. Let me read it again. <clears throat> it hath been said, and boy, was it a hot topic in Jesus' day. Everybody talked about this. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement, a legal document, freeing her from the marriage. Verse 32. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of her going off and fornicating, he's actually causing her to commit adultery. Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. All I can say is, wow. Look at chapter 19. Look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. <clears throat> now the issue, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, the Pharisees also came unto him tempting Jesus. Circle those words because they weren't really, you know, they didn't come. When they came with a question, they weren't looking for an answer, were they? They were just trying to find fault. They had already made up their mind like some people already this morning coming to church. They say, oh, I know what I believe. Well, go ahead. Pharisees had that problem too. All they wanted to do was tempt him. All they wanted to do was get him to say something that they could point to and say was wrong. So they tempted him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man, using the law, to put away his wife for every cause? Because that was the general conclusion. The general conclusion was, can't you have no-fault divorce? If I just can't live with this woman, can I just get over and move on? Now, the issue was divorce. And the problem was that people were feeling free to divorce their wives and their husbands for any reason. Now, the law, back in Deuteronomy 24, go back there. We're going Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book in your Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. This is what they were using to decide that, okay, it's okay for me to get rid of my wife or to get rid of my husband. It was either or. It wasn't just for men. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Deuteronomy 24, 1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Huh. She's just not beautiful. She's just not interesting. She's just not what he wants. Because he hath found some uncleanness in her, 
Then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it into her hand, and send her out of his house. Sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Well, the people had become, had become used to using the Bible and, and for their own desires, and, and instead of learning it, testing it, and living by it. You see, it's easy to twist Scripture, isn't it? I find every cult tries to use the Bible, don't they? So you've got to be careful that you come to a verse like this, and you go, well, look, it says that if... If, I, if I'm not happy with her, I can throw her away. That's what it says, out of context. Churches do the same thing. They'll use Scripture to their own design. The Pharisees were teaching and actually enabling society to throw away their marriages like old clothes. Yet Jesus hammers at their carnality and their wrongness in their understanding and in their abuse of this allowance. In those days, they would call a depressed wife toxic to the well-being of the husband. And so society allowed a man to dump his depressed wife. Angry men were also seen as toxic to the wife, so they were abandoned for mental health reasons. He's putting me under so much stress. Lazy men who wouldn't work were dumped by their wives, and sometimes I wonder if that was a good thing. And lazy women who wouldn't cook meals were divorced by their demanding husband. Not that they couldn't, but they wouldn't. Those are not grounds for breaking up any marriage. They are not grounds. So Jesus takes his audience all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and shows them that any time you break the one flesh of a marriage, you are committing adultery and breaking God's highest laws. Jesus was proving and showing that what the people were doing was not using God's laws, but they were actually ignoring God's law because they picked one and ignored other ones that define the design and the purpose of marriage. Because words have meaning. Now, what is marriage in our society? Marriage in our society is just a wish. I hope we get along. I hope we're happy. Marriage, for most people, is a goal. To some people, it is a couple of names on a piece of paper that can be blotted out when things don't work out. But, do, but marriage is not defined in Deuteronomy 24. You know where marriage is defined? Look there uh, in um, uh, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Verse 3. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. Saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Again, they're thinking of Deuteronomy 24. Isn't the law justifying me putting away my wife for any cause that I want? So he's using Deuteronomy 24, verse 4. He answered, Jesus answered and said back unto them, Have you not read, did you not read the whole book, that he which made them at the what? Right down next to that, Genesis 2, 24. And he that made him... At the beginning, made them male and female. And he goes on and he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall, here's his priority, shall cleave to his wife, not to his children, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, according to Genesis 2, they are no more twain, they're not two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God had joined together, let not man put us under. God says marriage is a covenant. Malachi chapter 2, you're just before Matthew, find Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. Malachi chapter 2, just for Matthew, Malachi 2, 13 to 16. God is speaking to Israel as a nation and what they had done with marriage and with their worship. It says, and this have you done again, as if to say again and again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying out insomuch that he regardeth not the offerings anymore or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore, why are you saying this? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt, and he uses the word treacherously. Treachery is, is like you've been treasonous. You've, you've done such damage, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy what? So when you get married, you make a covenant. You make a solemn vow. Two parties do. And did not he, God, make, out of two, make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. And he's talking about how Satan was destroying marriages because it was through people getting married that God was going to bring about a, 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 a godly seed that would end up with the Messiah that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. What's putting away? That's divorce. He hates divorce. For one covereth violence with his garment. Covering up violence in the home, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your attitude, to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously which is getting rid of your wives or getting rid of your husbands. So marriage is not just two people coming together, but a legally binding agreement between two people. And by the way, that's a man and a woman. We read it there. And it results in serious consequences if it is broken. Marriage is designed by God. Unfortunately, for most people, marriage is something that people just jump into and they wing it. Marriage is not a product of your evolution. God designed how many genders? At last count, it's at 96. How is that even possible to comprehend? No, two genders. He designed men and women. Hey, he designed people in two genders. He designed two genders to get married. Now, you can stay single if you want. But you're designed to be married. Can you at least understand that? And you're designed to be married to somebody of the opposite gender. And God designed married couples to produce children. And he's designed each person in the marriage to benefit the other person ahead of themselves. Those are God's designs for marriage. But let's move on. Let's understand that marriage is the work of God. It's not just us. One person plus one person does not make a marriage. You need God. Marriage is where God helps to become one flesh. We just read it there in, in Matthew. It says, what God hath what? Joined together. 
I don't care if you're Buddhist, Hindu, uh, if you're pagan, I don't care what it is. If you're married, it's by God's design, and God puts you together, and you're following God's design. Say, well, I was lost when I got married. Now I'm saved, and so I should be able to divorce so I can marry a Christian wife. You're a fool. You are married. You can't sit there and say, well, I wasn't sane when I got married. <laughs> no man is sane at every stage of your decisions, but that decision you're stuck with. Amen? Marriage is a work of God. Divorce. Divorce has scared people. Approximately 30% of all couples are now living together instead of being married. You know why that is? Because they're terrified of marriage. In the UK, and in the US, and in the, in, uh, almost 45% uh, uh, of all proper marriages fail within the first 10 years. Ending in separation, ultimately in divorce. It is projected that one half of all marriages will end, divorce, end up in divorce before people's 30th anniversary. Divorce has scared people. Divorce usually begets more divorce. I've watched it. My parents were divorced. I've watched uh, my sister, my younger brother, and my older brother. He stayed the course. But when you grow up in a divorced home and you try to marry, the odds are the pressure's on, you're going to divorce. Divorce begets divorce. Is that what you want? Things are not going to get any better without a great awakening here in Ireland. Ireland's on its way following and probably going to exceed both the UK and America. Fornication. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Fornication means any sexual sin where you take what belongs to your mate, you give it to someone else. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, because they had a question about it, he said, it is good for a man not to what? Not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid what? So you start touching, guess where it's going to lead, ladies and gentlemen? To avoid fornication... Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And then let that husband render unto the wife due benevolence, due gifts, the things that he's supposed to give her, everything. Likewise also the wife unto her husband. The wife hath not power over her own what? Wow. When you get married, you lose control. That person now owns you. Amen. And you own the other person. Defraud ye, uh, verse 5, draw, defraud ye not one the other. Don't cheat the other person, except to be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and then come again, come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency, for your separation. So fornication is a big deal. It includes sex before marriage. That's messing around. What do they call it? Going all the way. They've got all kinds of terms now. It's wrong. Fornication includes pornography, where it's lust and emotional adultery. It doesn't have to be physical. That's fornication. Sex outside of your marriage, like adultery, is fornication. Fornication is the big word. Adultery is something that happens. It's fornication, but it happens after you got married. Homosexuality is fornication. Incest is fornication. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. 
Still in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is, what's the word? Look at what he describes. Fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So fornication's got a lot of meaning. And it's serious. But this is all part of a larger lesson. The context is king here. The Pharisees were teaching about how to break down a marriage. Can you believe that somebody would use the Bible to help people to break up their marriage? And yet the Pharisees were saying, yeah, you can divorce your wife for any reason. Can you imagine anybody who has any sense of God, any sense of morality, equipping people to, hey, listen, if you're not happy, just dump them. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's what the movies are doing. And that's what the media is doing. And that's what we're spending our time feeding ourselves with is this constant pressure to just quit. But Jesus taught about forgiving when you've been hurt and become angry. That's what chapter 5 is about. He taught about conquering lust and not letting it win. He taught about keeping your promises and your vows. He taught about going the extra mile, and he'll mention that in chapter five, when, chapter 6, when someone pours more burdens on you than you can handle. He talks about not seeking revenge and about loving back when you've been hurt over and over again. That's what living in the kingdom of God is like. So Matthew chapter 5 is strong. Let's talk about marriage and reality. Did you know, I don't know if you have a sort of a fairy tale view of the Bible, but marriage in the Old Testament was pretty rotten. It was not, it was not the best of days. The Old Testament is not filled with fairy tales, Snow White and Prince Charmings. You've got polygamy sometimes. You've got concubines sometimes. Lot had a horrible life at home. Yet his wife stuck with him and he stuck with her. Noah, Noah was married to a woman who thought he was crazy building a boat out in the desert for a hundred years. What woman would put up with that? And yet she did. And when he invited her to get on, the only people that got on were Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives, and they got on, they sat there, and nothing happened. And his wife should have said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. He's, 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 he's gone and lost everything. Then they're on that boat. And for a whole year, they're stuck with thousands of animals, and poo, and, and feeding schedules, and they're, they're seasick, and everything. Who wouldn't have, as soon as that, that um, door opened and opened up, who wouldn't have ran from that home? And they didn't. You know, there is, there is uh, no divorce anywhere in the Old Testament among the people you would think would rightly seek it. Abraham and Sarah did not have a fairy tale marriage yet they stayed married. Remember Hagar? Remember that mess? Remember that Abraham distanced himself? He's going around, he's going from town to town, and the guys are drooling. What a knockout girl. What's her name? I think her name is Sarah. And, uh, but is she married? No, I heard that's her brother. He's the one that told her to tell everybody I'm not married. He was so low that he wouldn't protect his wife. And Sarah did not divorce him. Isaac and Rebekah didn't communicate well at all. You ever read your Bible, you'll read Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, they, they can't even agree on anything. 
They had a divided home. Esau is the favorite son of Isaac. Jacob is the favorite son of Rebekah. Rebekah's planning how to manipulate Isaac, and Isaac's ignoring Rebekah. This is how they live. Isaac uh, and Rebekah are not a, a perfect home, yet they never divorced. Jacob marries one woman, falls in love with this woman named Rachel, only to find out that her brother switched her at, mid, at, at midnight, at last minute, on their wedding night, and he wakes up with Leah. Then he goes, and he goes ahead, and he marries now Rachel. Now, if I was Leah, I'd drop him like a hot potato. She didn't. But can you imagine their home life? You know, God commanded the prophet Hosea to marry an unfaithful harlot named Gomer. First of all, to marry a woman named Gomer would be hard. Do you, Sean, marry Gomer? <laughs> oh, wow. But he was commanded to marry an unfaithful harlot named Gomer, and then he would not let Hosea walk away from that marriage even though she did. The reality of marriage is that it usually is a mess. Can you agree with that? Can you nod your head? But God's people, we endure. We work it out. We stay married. So what's your tale? You're probably married with the best and highest of intentions, or at least maybe you want to. But I would bet that you've had some pretty rough patches that you don't even want to revisit. But I'm going to ask you not to throw everything away yet. Let the reality of the kingdom of God that we look at in Matthew chapter 5 overwhelm the reality of your home life and of your marriage. Because marriage is the only sexual relationship that God will honor. It's the only one. Everything else, he promises he will catch up with you and one day will judge. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And verse 4. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all. Every marriage is honorable by fact of the fact it's married in the bed undefiled. Nothing wrong with a marriage bed. Nothing wrong with people getting married and join one another. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Well, here, now we're going to get to the chase. Divorce is usually more horrible than a bad marriage. I know what culture says. You know what culture says? Culture says you shouldn't have to live miserably. You should find someone that makes you happy. You deserve second chances. But God doesn't see it that way. He expects, you know what, now maybe you didn't learn it, but your parents were charged, whether they realized or not, there was something in them, and usually in society, that called upon parents, not to school, God deliver us from leaving it to the school to teach morals. He requires parents to teach their children what it means to truly love, to sacrificially love, and to keep your promises. If I ask you to do something and you don't do it, I know who to blame. Your parents. Amen. Now, you're in charge. You're in charge. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You need to just own up. If you make a promise, you're to do it, whether it hurts you or not. Amen. But it is our job to teach our children to keep our promises so that one day when they stand before an altar and they make a promise to love, to honor, to cherish, to protect, till death do us part, that they never break that promise. Amen. Amen. 
He expects parents to teach their children to be content. She's got a better toy. She's got something I want. What do you got? Well, I've got 450 other toys, but I don't like them anymore. <laughs> parents are supposed to teach their children to be content. I'll tell you about the illustration. I like it in our home, too. It's kind of the same. I like learning that my grandparents were not stupid. When we went to my grandparents' house, there was a box in the closet that my granddad pulled down and set down on the floor. It had some of the most old, unusable toys ever imagined. It was, there was a teapot, metal teapot. There was, a, there was a percolator, an old percolator you put on top of a stove. We're six years old, okay? There was a wood car. All four wheels were on it, amen? But it was a wooden car that rolled. There were some, some wood blocks in different shapes. There were some, some uh, uh, pieces of wood that were, that were long and some that were short. I forget all the different things. In there. there was a rag doll in there. There's a couple of things. And when my granddad pulled it down and set it down, we were in heaven. We hadn't seen those toys for a year. It was like, woo, we've gone to Smith's Toys and died. My sister sitting there playing with that dolly for the next two hours. Amen. Amen. Here comes Connor and Chloe over to our house. They go over to that closet, open it up. There's a box of blocks. Amen. There are books. Amen. I don't run to Smith toys every time my grandkids are coming over to the house. They're going to have to learn to be content. Amen. Because if you can't learn to be content at five, six, seven, eight years old, you will not be content when you're 35, 36, 37 years old. Parents need to teach their children, just thank God. Thank your mother for whatever she fixed you. Amen. Thank God for the room that you've got in your house. Thank God for the bed. Thank God. Thank your parents. Thank people. To be thankful is what our parents are supposed to teach us. And lastly, your parents are supposed to teach you to work at things. To work at it, not leave it to somebody else to do. Why? Because when a marriage is broken up, horrible things happen. You know what it does? It tears two people apart that God had made one. I was actually going to do it, and I forgot to do it, but can you imagine taking... I feel bad I didn't do it. I was going to actually introduce you to Sean and Mary. Sean here and Mary, you're in love. All right? They decide to get married. They sit down with Pastor. I try to talk him out of it, <clears throat> like I always do. I mean, they're so in love, and they desire... Oh, we just want to... We, we, we want to, to live together, grow old together. We want to uh, just, just be together forever. Amen. Good. So God puts them together, and they become how many people? One. But if I had glued that, like I wish I had, I had forgotten. If I had glued that, and then they both got so angry at each other, got so messed up in their home, and I came along, and, I, uh, and they said, we're going to get a divorce, how easy will it be to pull them apart? You know, we think about, we think that marriage is like a scissors. No. Marriage is like ripping. And you know what those two people are like after they've been torn apart? They are not the same. They never will be. Now, God can take two people, can make them whole again, but you better not put him through it. <laughs> those two people are not meant, they were meant to be one. They were not meant to be two again. Divorce is horrible. 
It's more horrible, I believe, than most bad marriages. You know, there are more people in a home than besides two people. Usually you got children. I'm a product of divorce. I know what it's like to hear the screaming, the yelling, the things breaking. I know what it's like. I know what it's like when your dad sits down and he says that final conversation where he says, I've got to go. I know what it's like. I know what it did to me. I know what it did to my younger brother, what it did to my younger sister. Don't you dare say, well, it's for my sanity. Well, it's for my health. Well, it's for the best. You're stupid. Because if I could wind the thing back and go back there, I'd slap both of my parents. And you would too. You say, you're being hard. No, I'm being real. Because we're a mess. But if we're not careful, the devil can come in there and shake things and activate things and walk away going, yes, I won again. It becomes a burden on churches and now on the state. You know, the government, I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the exact number, but the government's taking care of one-parent homes like never before. That's not right. It becomes a burden. That was not how things were designed. And I believe this. Oh, yeah, I didn't know I had all this list. It ruins the picture of Christ and his bride. You know what Jesus says? He said, my father's house is a place for us. I love you like, like a husband loves his bride. And I'll never leave you or forsake you. Remember that promise Jesus made? But when a Christian couple breaks up in divorce, they're destroying a picture of Christ and his love toward us. I'm going to say something. You can disagree, but I believe with all my heart. I believe that the awful state of marriages today is the main reason for the rise in homosexuality today. The reason why so many people are turning to homosexuality is because they've watched marriages and they go, eh, not for me. You know what divorce is like? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a head-on collision between two one-ton vehicles. Imagine all the shards of metal and the glass shattering in thousands of different directions. And now imagine the people inside that could take a whole lifetime to heal. Now, divorce is allowed by God. Don't you get in this idea, don't get this Catholic idea that God never allows divorce. That's stupid. You read it. There are exceptions. But divorce was never God's design for any family to experience. Any more than he designed death for us to experience. He wants us to live forever, amen? It was sin that brings death. But God does make allowance for married people to break up. It's awful to think about, but Deuteronomy 24 says, you can offer a bill of divorcement. Matthew chapter 5 says that um, uh, you can give, uh, well, I can't even remember now. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Except for fornication, but I want to get the whole phrase. Matthew chapter 5. Believe me, I've read all the kind of stuff that says, well, that's not what he meant. Just come on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving, accepting for the cause of fornication. So there is time. Sometimes it's the last of the last resorts, but where somebody has to make a breakup. You know, God actually commanded Abraham to get rid of and divorce Hagar. Amen? Divorce sometimes has to happen. Do you remember Joseph and Mary? 
starry-eyed, looking forward to their wedding and their honeymoon and finding out that Mary's pregnant. And what did Joseph think to do? I'm going to put her away. You know what was the alternative? What was the alternative of divorcing Mary? Now, they weren't even married yet, but they had been, become engaged. And so when you make that engagement, you make an announcement, we're going to get married in such a day, we're going to consummate the marriage, we're going to officiate it and make it real. When, 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 when somebody has become pregnant, not by you, what's that called? Fornication or adultery. And what was the alternative for him divorcing her? Stoning. He loved Mary. He didn't want to make her a public example, it says. Did not want anybody to consider she ought to die. So there are, there are times when things can be broken up. But I want you to understand, Moses never commanded divorce. It says there in um, Matthew 19, it says, Moses suffered it, which means he really found it hard to write those things and permit divorce, and only under extreme circumstances. See, when God wrote that it's possible to divorce, he did not say that you could do as you please. You could marry whom you want. You could divorce when you need to. There are actually only three reasons allowed for, ultimately, to divorce. One is for unfaithfulness during the betrothal period, like between Mary and Joseph. Honestly, if you're getting ready to marry somebody else and that other person is not staying faithful in preparation for the wedding, why marry her or him? Amen? Secondly, when there has been sexual immorality involved after marriage. Matthew 5.32 says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. So adultery, homosexuality, you find out your husband is a, is a queer I understand. I don't want to live with him. I understand. Amen? Desertion? My husband left me. Yeah, I understand. That is the breaking of the one flesh that was promised to that person. And when the husband or the wife has deserted them, they are permitted to remarry. And then there's one more, and that's abuse after marriage. Or during the marriage, sorry. And it's extreme abuse. I like Matthew 19, 8. Go to Matthew 19. <clears throat> Matthew 19, 8. Jesus is continuing to speak. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the what? You know, hard hearts cause bad marriages. If a person is physically abusive, divorce usually would be needed to protect the other person or the children. Hopefully put the first person in prison and allow the abused to go on. Any other reason? Any other reason? Those three reasons. Matthew 19 says this. I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except for fornication. That's the only allowance here. And shall marry another. If you go off and, if you, if you go off and marry someone and there has, the other person hasn't been unfaithful to you, you have committed what? Adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, and this is not the person who's been divorced by the adulterer, but this is the one who's been put away because she's an adulteress. You marry a woman who has stepped away from her husband, say, I didn't like Sean. I, I, really, I, I didn't like his body odor. Didn't like his socks in the corner. 
I didn't like the fact that he didn't pay the bills. So I dumped him. And somebody says, well, I think it's okay to marry. No, you're marrying an adulterer. Amen. You better be careful who you're befriending. And what's the problem behind the adultery and divorce? It's the heart. I know we, 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 I know we like to blame another person, but it's our heart's response. Is that not what all Jesus is speaking about in Matthew chapter 5? He's going for the heart. He says, you got a problem here uh, with hate. you got a problem here with lust. You have a problem here with the heart. When the other person has hurt you and you've sought, or maybe they failed you, and you've sought divorce, don't seek that response when you need to seek fixing your own heart. Most of our problems have always been the heart, haven't they, amen? So if you're saved this morning, if you want to live in the kingdom of God, your main focus must not be on what somebody else has done to fail you. It has to be on your own heart and how you're failing to deal with it. That's what Jesus says. Jesus even says, if you're getting ready to worship God and somebody's got a problem against you, and you remember it, you can't just expect them to be mature to figure out how to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. Because he wants your heart right. He wants everything reconciled. The heart, if unconverted and unchecked, will drive us to destroy everything good in our lives and our home. Listen to Jesus refer to our hearts. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Matthew 5, 28, I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be. He talks about the heart over and over. Matthew 9, 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. What comes out of us was already in us. Matthew 15, 8, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. Matthew 15, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile the man, for out of the heart proceed all of my evil thoughts, my murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Matthew 18, 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, bring you into trouble, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Remember when you were a kid and your mom said, Say, you're sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, now shake hands. I'll get you later. Jesus said, you can't do that. Jesus said, you've got to forgive from your heart. Matthew 19, 8, we already read it. He saith unto Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, he gave you divorce. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now, the truth, the truth about divorce is this. God hates divorce. We already read it there just for time. God does not hate your unhappiness like you do. You know, we think, God, you must, don't you see me? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you see what I have to put up with? And the Lord says, yeah, but I don't hate that like I hate divorce. He hates the destruction of a marriage for all the wrong reasons. Yes, he allows for divorce because people are hard-hearted. And they don't care about anything when they're hurt. Hey, you've been hurt, and all you want to do is hurt back. Amen? 
God hates divorce. Secondly, God hates adultery more. Do you know an adulterer was, was supposed to be stoned? Listen to Leviticus 20.10. It says, And the man that hath committed adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That's serious. God said, I respect and honor and protect marriage so much, I want the person who's trying to murder that marriage gone. Do you know, God hates adultery more because a, a divorced person can remarry. An adulterer should be dead. Now, thank God for grace because Jesus teaches, you know what, I can even save an adulterer. I can even transform the life of somebody who threw away his home. Thank God for, for the cross that paid for all sin. Divorce should only be sought as the last resort, the last of the last resort, to be discouraged in all of but all the most aggravated cases. Why? Because we have Jesus. Why can you say to somebody, don't get a divorce? Because of Jesus. If Jesus is only good for good people, he's good for none, no one. If Jesus is only good for practically perfect people, he's good for no one. Jesus is the Savior who has forgiven us all trespasses. Why can we leave divorce and not even consider it unless it's the worst of the worst situations? It's because we have the personal Holy Spirit living on us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just say, yeah, get him. <laughs> because we have hope. You know, I believe God can fix anything. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. I believe what I read in my Bible. I have hope. So therefore, divorce doesn't fit into that thing. And because we live in a different kingdom than in this life. My kingdom's got life. My kingdom brings dead things back to life, amen? Remember my list from the start? Divorce is usually because of unfaithfulness, constant arguing, misperceptions, lack of passion, abuse of power. Let me ask you, is that how you want to live in your home? Marriage in the kingdom of God is different. If you ever meet somebody who's a Christian and, and they have a Christian marriage, you can sense it. You usually can tell because a Christian marriage looks different, lasts longer, loves differently, leaves a better example, and helps people find faith in Christ. Because they look and they go, they've got something that works. Amen. 50, how many years, Brother Dennis? How many years you married? 56? 51. Oh, 61. I'm trying to figure it out. Good. That's a great example to every generation. Marriage in the kingdom of God is not perfect, but it's better. It's not a fairy tale. Well, if I got saved, if, I, if my husband would just get really saved, you'll have another problem later on. Did you know a Christian marriage is worth waiting for? You know how long it takes to make a diamond? I have no idea how long God took to make the diamonds that are in the ground. I know that when they make diamonds, they use heat and pressure. 
and they usually can get it done within a few hours, and they come out with these tiny little bitty things that they make in what's called industrial diamonds. They've never made a diamond that's worth 30 million euros because it can't be made by man. But when God made it, he took time, heat, and pressure. What's he doing with your marriage? Making something beautiful. It's worth waiting for, where God takes two believers and puts them together where they commit to living as Christ told them to. Christian marriage is hard. Sometimes it involves a lot of suffering. Did you know if you're married to an unsaved person, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, stick with it. Stay. They're not married. They're not saved. You're married. If they want to stay with you, let them stay. Don't run them off. Don't ever divorce them. Christians, 1 Peter chapter uh, 3 says, if a woman's married to a man who won't obey the word of God, saved or lost, you know what she's supposed to do? Poison him. Oh, no, sorry, wrong Bible. <clears throat> um, you know what she's supposed to do? Meek and a quiet spirit, win him. Stay with him. Amen. Works both ways. Christians are supposed to forgive a lot of sin in their spouse. Christians are supposed to overlook a lot of suffering and hardships. Don't allow anything to trigger that word divorce. What else? Christian marriage is blessed by God. Man. You know, God honors a married couple even though the world ignores them and says, boring. God says, I honor that. Marriage is what holds any society together. I don't care whether they're Christian, pagan, whatever. A society that honors marriage holds together. A church that honors marriage and honors weddings and honors anniversaries and protects the marriage and protects the eyes and the heart from lust. A church that does that sticks up, stays long, stays together, lasts. And home is blessed by marriage. Let me say, lastly, it's only possible with God's help. You're not going to stick it out with the kind of sin that's coming at us from every direction. We're not going to stick it out unless God's in there helping you. That's why we come to church and we say, Lord, you reminded me, I got to stay on my face all week long praying, asking God to help me hold together, do right, stay right, so on and so forth. Well, the best way to face divorce is not what you think. Don't go down that road. Determine it's never going to be an option. Say, what if, I'm, what if things are struggling? Humble yourself. Psalm 51, you know what David got right? His own heart. You find nothing about Bathsheba. You find out nothing about Uriah. You find out nothing about Nathan being aggressive and being, and, and being mean towards David, pointing him out as a sinner, so on and so forth. You know what David did? He said, I have sinned and I alone against you, God. Humble yourself. That's how you face divorce, by missing it. By humbling yourself. Get your priorities right. What's your first priority? It's not your children. It's God. Your first priority is to walk with God. You get out of that walk, and even in, listen, the devil goes after everyone. But man, make sure that's your priority. And then secondly, your spouse is your priority. God said, a husband, a man, leaves father, mother, leaves everything and cleaves to his wife. She is his priority now. Amen. Fourthly, oh, I didn't know I had that. Do whatever you have to to stay together and stay in love. What does that mean? 
That means uh, forgive and get forgiven. Talk and listen to each other. Protect each other like you do your children. Amen. You, the things that you do and you cater to and you pour love on your children, make sure you pour it on your, your mate. Pray fervently for each other. And, and try and do things differently. Try and do things differently. Try to say, you know, Lord, I want to do things your way, not the way that I'm used to. This is how my mom took care of my deadbeat dad. This is how my dad yelled at my mom. No, no, do things differently. Say, you know, you may have grown up in a home that did not know how to show love. Start showing love. Start holding hands. Do things differently if you want to save your marriage. Or just don't get married. <laughs> That's a surefire way to not have to deal with divorce, amen? But not everybody's able to do that. By the way, remarriage is permitted. I'll say that again. Some people freak out, but remarriage is permitted. And uh, just know that you're loved by God. Whatever you've been through, you know the worst failure is a failure in a home. To lose your home. Do you know what? God loves you. You, God loves you. Sin and sorrows were taken care of on the cross. Not only your sins, but also your sorrows. Things beautiful again. By the way, he could even return you and restore you. Thirdly, God can fix anything. You know, if your husband or your wife died, cannot God give you another husband? Amen. If your mate walked out on you, can he not bring someone back? Can they not first bring them back? And if they don't want to come back and they marry someone else, you are free. God will bring somebody else. Don't let the world, don't let the churches, don't let anything so destroy you. Say, so you know what? Thank you, Jesus. You've already got this thing figured out. Here's the invitation. Don't be like the Pharisees and only use your Bible. I know people who have written entire huge articles. There is no reason ever for any divorce ever. They're stupid. They never read their Bible. They only picked and chose some. Then you got the other ones that say, you can divorce for any reason at all. Don't pick and choose. Don't just use your Bible. Seek to live by every word. We memorized this verse last week, last month. Remember, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word, not just the bits and pieces we understand, not just the bits and pieces we like, but we get the whole package. Don't ignore what you heard this morning. I'm just going through Matthew 5. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not doing anything of particular nature. I'm just saying we're next dealing with this. Jesus next dealt with this. He has the plan. I'm just following that. So don't ignore it because there's no better way to live and to love and learn than from Jesus. If you want to have a kingdom marriage, then you're going to have to live by God's kingdom laws. Not by the way the culture is living around us. Say, Lord, I just want to deal with my own heart. I want to save my marriage. I want to save my future. Because God is a restorer, a repairer, a regenerator of things that have died, even marriages. You know what divorce does? Divorce stops God from being able to fix your marriage. Amen. Don't be so quick to shut off God and say, well, I'm fed up, God. Obviously, you're not going to do anything, so I'll do something. Be careful. God's a resurrector. By the way, you can't save your marriage. 
If you have a bad marriage, you can't save it, but Jesus can. It starts with getting born again. Man, you want God in your home? Bring him through your heart. If you've not been converted, you've not been born again, today's the day. If your home is anything, it's a way for God to get your attention that he needs to be there. Let's stand and let's bow in prayer. Let's all bow our heads in prayer, please. Every eye closed. <clears throat> What's it going to be like in your home? I guarantee you the devil means for it to be hell on earth. Job had a wife who, when everything fell apart, you know what Job, Job's wife wanted to do? Die. Thank God she didn't want a divorce. <laughs> you may come to a place where you just wish you could die. Job got through, and God blessed him. If we really, really saw marriage for how good it is and, and what God can do in it, he doesn't make it fairy tale. He just makes it good. Let him do that. But it starts with us. Say, I wish my husband was here, heard this message. I wish my wife was here to hear this message. No, you're here. Did you hear it? Did you look at yourself and go, am I making my home or am I breaking it? Heavenly Father, <clears throat> there's nothing more awful than the loss of a home and a family. So, Lord, you put the fear of God in, into people and you said there is just about no reason. It, just like anger, we should have a very good reason to ever, ever get angry. If there ever has to be divorce, it has to be the most extreme. You didn't, you didn't make it impossible, but you sure made it fearful that we would ever mess with marriage and walk away from it. Because when we walk away from what you designed, we're adulterers and adulteresses, and we need to fear that. We need to be very afraid of destroying what you made good. Lord, all our lives we've been messing up. I thank you for Jesus Christ, who's the author of salvation. He's the one who can reach down into the worst of situations and can make a kingdom out of it. So, Lord, thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you for the thoughts this morning. Thank you for your people being patient and hearing this. Save some homes in the future, please, because the devil means only to destroy. 